It's Monday, September 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. President Trump has faced a lot of bad news recently from a barrage of negative books. But while he often complains about the deep state trying to undermine him, most of the attacks are coming from people who are in his close orbit. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this and new polls showing that most voters don't see Trump or Biden as mentally fit to lead. Next, the pandemic has disrupted nearly every aspect of life and it will also be reshaping the holiday shopping season. The sales and promotions will be coming earlier than ever and everyone will be shopping online, which could lead to a delay in getting your packages. Jennifer Kingston, Managing Business Editor at Axios, joins us for how it's all changing and why you should start shopping as early as you can. Finally, a COVID-19 vaccine supply chain is starting to take shape. Once a vaccine is approved, it will be a huge undertaking to transport the millions of doses to their destinations. Everything from temperature-controlled containers to securing flights for doses to be delivered will all have to be figured out. Ed Silverman, Armalot columnist and senior writer at Stat News, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. This whack job that wrote the book, he said, well, Trump knew a little bit. They wanted me to come out and scream, people are dying, we're dying. No, no, we did it just the right way. We have to be calm. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. wanted to talk about all the fallout from all these books we've had recently. Obviously, everybody's still talking about the Bob Woodward book where we have audio tapes of the president downplaying the coronavirus threat despite being on tape a few days after that quote saying, you know, it's just not a big deal, even though he said in those tapes, I'm sorry, that he knew it was a big deal. There was that story in The Atlantic where he was talking bad about some military members. There's just been a lot of news going on that's not been very good for the president. And Politico had a story about how a lot of these people are people that are close to the president. It's not really deep state thing. It's the shallow state. It's the people that come to work for him and then realize he's not all that's cracked up to be there. So how has all this latest news been affecting the president? I think you can look at the Bob Woodward book and see that it was formed. It was informed by 18 on the record interviews with the president himself. That's where those recordings came from, that Bob Woodward, a legendary journalist in America who broke open the Watergate story, talked with several senior aides who he doesn't name, but also Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, who spoke on the record as well. So as Politico pointed out, these stories really seem to be informed by people who are close to the president, who are inside the White House, and who are talking to journalists and telling them things that ultimately do not look flattering to the president. He's tried to contend that those recordings weren't so bad, that they're being taken out of context, that they're being spun in a way that is negative. But I think we're going to hear a lot of criticism from Democrats using the president's own words. He knew in January, late January, early February, just how dangerous this disease was, and then was admitting in March that he was intentionally trying to play it down so as not to cause a panic. And Democrats really saying that that means he just wasn't being straight with the American people. And because of that, made it worse that people were not responding in the way they should have because they were hearing the president say it wasn't that bad. This really does put the president on an island a lot of times. You know, they've called him a transactional president and he it promotes that within other people around him. You know, they want to 
get in, maybe make a name for themselves or something, things go wrong. Then they go around and write a book and then start talking crap about him. I mean, how does this affect the president? How does this affect his governing style and his effectiveness? You know, as someone who listened to every Trump campaign rally in 2016, pretty much you used to hear him say all the time he was going to only hire the best people. And that criticism gets used a lot. These are, as you said, the people that he's hired. There has been an incredible amount of turnover in this White House and an incredible amount of turnover among aides from the top to the bottom in this executive branch. And it does affect the way that he governs. It does affect the way that he can operate. When you don't have a team of people that you can delegate a task to and expect them to get it done or to take responsibility when things have gone wrong to get it fixed and get it working right, it really handcuffs the ability of the president. As you said, he often blames, quote unquote, the deep state. He talks about bureaucrats in the government that are working against him. But really, those of us who have chronicled this White House from beginning and know that there is just a deep level of dysfunction and disagreement within it, that there's a lot of infighting, and that really has affected the way that he's been able to operate. And many times his inability to get some of the goals that he had stated done because he doesn't have the people there to accomplish them for him. There's been a a bunch of different polls coming out recently. One of them says about six in 10 registered voters nationwide say they want to cast their ballots before Election Day. That means they want to do the mail-in voting. They want to send it in early enough so that they make sure it gets there and counts. All of this really just points to how much of a mess November is going to be. A lot of people have already said we won't even know who wins the night of. So just it's a big push for mail-in balloting this year. There's a lot of people pushing for mail-in ballots, states trying to figure out how to handle all of these mail-in ballots, how to get them counted as quickly as possible. We expect some states to change their laws before they get to November to allow them to start tabulating and verifying those ballots before Election Day in order to speed up the process. And this is going to be something that's to be closely watched on Election Night. Are we going to be able to say who won Pennsylvania or Ohio or Florida if there's still thousands of uncounted ballots? And we're also seeing both campaigns working to try to mobilize people. We know that four years ago, Republicans and consistently Republicans request more mail-in ballots than Democrats traditionally in elections. This year, in several key states, states like North Carolina and Pennsylvania, more Democrats have requested ballots than Republicans. So questions about how these campaigns are organizing to get people who don't want to vote in person to do the extra steps they need to to request those ballots ahead of time. Another poll I wanted to bring up, this was a CNBC change research poll that said a majority of voters in six swing states consider both President Donald Trump and Joe Biden mentally unfit to be president. I think it was like 51% for Trump, 52% for Joe Biden. They think they're mentally unfit. (laughs) That doesn't sound really good. You know, we've seen this a couple of times now in elections where people feel like they're choosing between the lesser of two evils. That term gets used a lot. Maybe the lesser of two mentally unfit candidates would be what they think they're weighing this time. I mean, that's such a huge factor. And if we look at the way President Trump campaigns, the way that he attacks his opponents, he's never tried to convince people to like him. He's always tried to convince people that the other candidate is worse than he is. And I think we see that again now. I I mean, we see him trying to say, you might not like me, but that other guy is worse and here are the reasons. And I think that poll shows the effectiveness of those attack lines to a great extent. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) 
Amazon Prime Day someday in October is going to be a big event. And everybody is going to be on tenor hooks to see if they can get the stuff they want and see what the shopping season looks like. Joining us now is Jennifer Kingston, Managing Business Editor at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. Great to be here, Oscar. The pandemic is changing the dynamics of pretty much everything (laughs) in our everyday lives. But when it comes to the holiday shopping season, it's going to change everything once again. Halloween is kind of expected to be a bust this year. A lot of things are closed. Attractions are closed in L.A. County, where I'm at right now. They just canceled trick-or-treating, Halloween parades, haunted houses, things like that. So retailers are really going to start kicking into high gear when it comes to Christmas sales, holiday sales. And they need that revenue because everything else has been kind of a bust throughout the entire year. So, Jennifer, tell us how the pandemic is changing this. We need to start doing our shopping a lot earlier, it seems like. The upcoming holiday shopping season is going to be like no other. An avalanche of e-commerce deliveries, so many that we have to worry whether the package delivery services are going to be able to cope with them. And then there are going to be earlier and earlier sales and promotions as companies try to recoup the revenue that they've lost from shutdown stores and so forth. Amazon Prime Day someday in October is going to be a big event, and everybody is going to be on tenor hooks to see if they can get the stuff they want and see what the shopping season looks like. As we've been going through the pandemic, we already kind of witnessed big disruptions. Not everything was available all the time. I think Amazon was even putting limits on certain things that could be delivered because they just didn't have the capacity. And we're still going to be going through this in the holiday season. So it just seems like it's going to be the pandemic on top of all this extra packaging that needs to be shipped. It's going to be very tough for companies like UPS and FedEx and the like. For sure. And those companies, by the way, have been running on peak holiday volumes since March. Basically, since so many places closed down and we started ordering whatever we could online, they have been going as fast as they can all the way. And then now come the buying season, and it's going to intensify. UPS alone hired 39,000 employees in the second quarter of this year just to cope with that amount of package volume, and it's going to get worse. Everybody I've spoken to on this issue says buy as early as you can. We're not going to have the luxury of going in store to buy a lot of things, or there's going to be severe limits on capacities in store. A lot of people probably don't want to Is our only recourse just going to be buying everything online? Buying online is going to be popular, and survey after survey shows that that's how people want to do things more than ever this year. Yet, retailers are going to give us as many incentives as possible to at least pick things up in the stores. There's this acronym called BOPUS that I keep hearing over and over again. Buy online, pick up in store. It's also called click and collect. And sources tell me that some retailers are going to be offering as much as a 15% discount if you actually do order online and then elect to pick up in the store. Many of them are getting geared up to put the stuff in your trunk so you don't even have to get out or expose yourself to things that you might worry are unsafe. What about other big shopping days like Black Friday? How are those going to be playing out? Everything's going to be disrupted this year. It's going to be very disorienting. One thing that I've observed through my reporting and my just life is that in some ways the week after Labor Day, 
almost marks the start of holiday shopping season. It's so exciting, and we all look forward to the holidays so much. We've got family, friends, food, gifts. And this year, we crave those rituals so much more than ever before. Predictions are that there will be a lot more holiday shopping activity. It's going to happen earlier. It's going to happen online. And those who do venture out to stores will probably be rewarded because it's going to be theater, an experience, beautiful displays. The stores really want us back, and they're going to see if they can make it their business to get us there. According to these annual retail surveys, what Americans are going to be likely to buy this year? Apparel is is expected to be weighed down for all the same reasons we've been observing. Many people who normally work in an office and dress up for work are not doing so this year. So alcohol is expected to do very well this year, not only because of the pandemic, but also because of the upcoming polarizing election, which tends to bring out the alcohol sales. (laughs) That and furniture, because we're all at home and we want it to look nice. Jennifer Kingston, Managing Business Editor at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Oscar. And they're looking to eventually send, who knows, hundreds of millions or billions of doses of vaccines over the coming months all around the world. And how's that going to happen? Because you need to, as I said before, accelerate what is the normal process. Joining us now is Ed Silverman, PharmaLot columnist and senior writer at Stat News. Thanks for joining us, Ed. Thanks for having me. We're all waiting for a vaccine to come through and be approved. There's a lot of stuff going around that politics around it right now. Everybody hopes to have something by the end of the year, early next year. But what also is happening is that we're getting ramped up to actually distribute that vaccine. And there's this COVID vaccine supply chain that is taking shape where there's just so much that needs to be undertaken to safely package and get these vaccines to all parts of the world. You need shipping containers that are refrigerated. Everything needs to be done at a timeline because vaccines don't last forever. It's a really big undertaking. So Ed, help us walk through what this supply chain is going to look like. The typical chain involves getting the vaccines out the door of the manufacturer and then a company such as a freight forwarder will arrange for the subsequent transportation, either from the manufacturer's warehouse or some other location, onto an airport where air cargo will take it to whatever destination. That's a simplistic setup, but that happens or has happened all the time. The problem now is that we're trying or planning to do a lot in a short amount of time as fast as possible. So we've got efforts to produce huge quantities of vaccines by different companies, assuming one or two or more of them get approval or authorized uh, use in short order. And they're looking to send billions of doses of vaccines over the coming months all around the world. And how's that going to happen? Because you need to, as I said before, accelerate what is the normal process. So you've got to look at the storage capability because these vaccines have to be uh, refrigerated or kept cold at certain temperatures. Usually it's minus two to minus eight degrees Celsius. 
In some cases, it's minus 20 or even minus 70, 70 degrees Celsius. That's a big, that's a big requirement, a big responsibility. So you need special packaging, special temperature controlled containers. You've got to make sure if trucks are refrigerated properly in some cases. You've got to make sure you have refrigerated facilities at airports to store the containers before they're put on the planes. And then you've got to repeat that in reverse once plane lands. So a lot of this is going on at one time. It's complicated, though, because a good deal of the pharmaceutical products, including vaccines, are typically transported in the bellies of passenger planes. Most people don't know that. But because of the pandemic, there's much fewer passenger planes flying. So that mitigates the ability of the pharmaceutical industry to get its products shipped by plane as easily as before. So they've got to work on adjusting to the availability of planes that are flying. They're going to have to try and work on repurposing seating, maybe use the usual portions of the plane to store product and then get it to destinations. It really is a big undertaking. And it's very tough, too, because we're trying to do a lot of this planning and gear up for all of it. But we're still waiting to learn how long, you know, each of these vaccines will remain stable and therefore effective. You know, so we're planning, but we still don't have all the pieces that we need to plan for, which is a big thing. And then one of the other things, you know, you're mentioning all of these transportation logistics, which it seems like a nightmare. There's a lot to go with it. But there's also this thing, you know, this is going to be an extremely valuable thing. This COVID-19 vaccine is valuable all over the world. So one of the other things that people are concerned with is to prevent theft of these things as well. Simplistically, it might seem like an episode out of The Sopranos, but there's a lot of concern. Of course, this will be the world's most precious, most valuable commodity for an extended period of time. And in the best of times, there's always a vulnerability in a supply chain that can be exploited. And the challenge now, of course, is to try and identify any vulnerabilities and plug those gaps. And that's going to take a lot of effort from everybody in the chain because everybody that has at one time possession of however many doses of a vaccine is going to be a target. One manufacturer, for instance, plans to put GPS devices in every box that's loaded onto a truck, where in the past they might have just put the GPS in the truck. They want to be able to track everything that's going on. For example, where if a truck is taking a different route, if it stops too often, if it stops too long, let's say the driver goes to take a rest stop, what's happening that it's not getting from the warehouse to the airport in time? And again, vice versa, airplanes land in other countries, they've got to look out for heist there, particularly if you're in certain countries where the infrastructure isn't as well developed as in the United States, for instance. And it's harder to fend off people who are waiting on the roadside to take advantage of a delivery. Any number of different scenarios, unfortunately, that need to be planned for. And there's also the idea of counterfeit, which is related to this whole problem of of theft and diversion. Ed Silverman, Pharmalot columnist and senior writer at Stat News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again for having me. Stay safe. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.